There's a saying old says that love is blind Still we're often told seek and ye shall find So I'm going to seek a Hey, you're listening to the Playful Musician and I'm your host Steve Davidson. Thanks for being here. You're listening to Theo Blackman who is this episode's guest. Theo is a vocalist, composer, arranger, just creative powerhouse all in all. He lives in New York City. He grew up in Germany, came to the United States when he was about 23. And he's a really fun, fascinating guy. He has an unusual career, I would say. He, he's really focused on the voice as an instrument and really expanding what you would think a voice could do in terms of sound and multiple sounds and clicks and all kinds of interesting things that he can do with his voice. And he also sings straight ahead. Like he can do a standard like none other and, and really treat it with grace and beauty. It was really a joy to talk with him. And it was so fun that this is the first interview of 2022. And I was really grateful that he sat down and he had just uh, gotten over being sick with COVID. And um, we're, I'm really glad that he's over that and feeling better. He talks a lot about um, how he keeps his voice limber. We talk about how he met Bobby McFerrin, one of his heroes, and got to perform with him. Talk about his latest tour with uh, being in Europe and um, how he met Laurie Anderson and Meredith Monk. You'll also hear some clips from his last recording called This Land um, with the, the brass group, the Westerlies. It's a very, very beautiful kind of um, protest album that they released just about a year ago. At the end, we have kind of the lightning round where he talks about the first album he ever bought, his favorite vocalist of all time, uh, his worst gig, which is a really funny story. So you're going to want to stay to the end to hear that. And uh, what he's looking forward to in 2022. Thanks for being here. I do appreciate uh, you as a listener and supporting the show. Please head on over to the Apple Podcasts and leave a review. Let me know what you think of this episode. And without further ado, here is my conversation with Theo Blackman. Welcome to The Playful Musician. I'm your host, Steve Davidson. Each week, I sit down with musicians from all different paths, from composers to conductors, percussionists to piccolo players, to tease out their strategies, practice habits, tips, tools, tricks, routines, and how they keep all of it playful. The Playful Musician is an intimate look into the lives of each musician, how they got to where they are, what motivates and inspires them, and what playing music means to them. If you'd like to learn more about the guests or just more about being playful, head on over to the website, theplayfulmusician.com. There you can find show notes, links to all references mentioned in the show, and all kinds of resources related to music. Thank you for listening, and please subscribe to The Playful Musician on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Overcast, 
or wherever you listen to podcasts. And while you're at it, why not leave a review as well? Thanks again, and without further ado, here is this week's episode. Steve here one more time. We had a bit of a technical glitch at the very beginning uh, where I introduced Theo and welcome him to the show. And so we're going to enter the conversation with him talking about a vocal workshop that he was doing um, in Europe recently. Enjoy the conversation. That was a lot of work. As you can imagine, five days of six to eight hour rehearsals every day and then a concert. Um, and then I went to Zurich to do a masterclass of the jazz and pop singers, which was really interesting to work with pop singers. Oh, what was interesting about that for you? Um, their approach to singing and their approach to form was very, very different. Hmm. I mean, most of them had incredibly fantastic voices that mm -hmm. were, you know, big and and could carry and and had sound but what they were not really familiar with was subtlety dynamics <laughs> and what was really great was that they had thought of the entire form there oh. were interludes and there were modulations and there were this is and that's and then this chord changed over here it was really a, a, an an architectural difference in here's a lead sheet we're going to play three choruses you mm -hmm. piano solo in the middle right <laughs> yeah and so what... we all learned from each other it was really really nice oh that's um, always fun the jazz singers usually on the softer side nowadays <laughs> um the pop singers belting until their brains explode and so mm. we met in a very very musical middle mm. that fun. sounds lovely yeah yeah so what did what sort of exercises did you do with them, or what what were you working on them with mostly? Well, we did vocal exercises uh, as far as registers, um, you know, finding the registers, register, talking about register balance. Doing group vocal exercises is a little bit tedious because everybody <laughs> comes with different yeah. presets, so you can mm -hmm. only do so much. A yeah. little bit of ear training and scales and all that kind of stuff we did, and then in the afternoon every singer sang a song oh and all the pop singers sang their own material original lyric yeah with lyrics they wrote their own material wow which not all the jazz singers can do right <laughs> and the songs were good they were mm. not trite or schlocky i mean it was really i was very impressed mm. are you a songwriter do you enjoy yeah. songwriting Yes, I, I don't enjoy it, but I, I love doing it. <laughs> Does that make sense? I mean, it's painful. Yeah. 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 Did you have you seen Let It Be? No. The Beatles documentary. Mm -mm. Yeah, I just watched it. It's very, very interesting <laughs> to watch Paul McCartney and John Lennon in the room, like creating, you know, uh, "Don't Let Me Down," like just. <laughs> It's really interesting from a, I found from a musician standpoint, but um, check it I, out. I, yeah, I just watched the Bee Gees documentary, which is also extremely interesting oh. because of songwriting. They yeah. actually are incredible songwriters. And then I watched the Kenny G documentary. <laughs> wow. What's the name of the Bee Gees documentary? 
Um, Do you remember? How deep is your love? I don't know. But if you just put uh, BGs, yeah. I think it's on in Netflix. Netflix or HBO. Those are the two options. I don't right, right. Did you listen to um, the Bee Gees growing up? Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I listened to them in very, very uh, intensively when they came out. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. And Kenny G, Kenny G has a documentary. I had no idea. Very interesting. And, and my friend Chris, Chris Washburn was in it. <laughs> starting oh. to see somebody you know <laughs> talk about. Um, and um, it was interesting. Very, very interesting uh, thing because I, it's so far from my aesthetic and from what yeah. I listen to or know, but to see that it exists and how it exists in this world and how, mm. how it came about is fen- phenomenal. It's interesting. Mm. I'll have to look at that. Yeah. yeah. So there, I wanted to, there's a quote, <clears throat> I'm not sure where it came from, some interview you said, but really piqued my interest and you said creativity takes place between play and the unknown. And I wondered if you could talk about that space a little bit. Yeah. So that is why I sort of made that joke about (laughs) songwriting being, you know, painful Mm. because you don't know whether you're going to succeed to write a song. You really, Mm. really don't. Yeah. When you start, you might have an idea and you think it's the greatest idea and you sit there and you cannot hammer out anything else. That's it. That's your idea. Two bars, you're done. Mm-hmm. So the, 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 the playing around is fun, but the unknown can be very, very uh, unsettling. Mm-hmm. And so you stop playing and then you stop doubting. And so I try to keep a sense of playfulness and not worrying about what is at the end, mm-hmm. um, and Kate actually, Kate McGarry, uh, Joe Laurie, who else was Peter Eldridge and Jonathan Brooke were in a song club together. We we oh, were all cool. giving each other assignments, and that helped because first of all, you have parameters. You're not just mm-hmm. sitting in front of a blank canvas, and you have a deadline. Mm. So if you're just playing in the unknown. You can play or not play. It's just like, okay. Right. Um, so that helps a lot. For me, deadlines are it. I'm very mm. lazy otherwise. <laughs> Was it hard during, in 2020, when like all gigs shut down and there were really no, no like milestones out there? <clears throat> Was that challenging? It was not hard at all to do nothing. <laughs> It was really easy just to do nothing for a change. So when it first started, of course, everybody's freaked out, including myself mm. and my husband. And then I was like, finally, I have some time to do nothing, to read, to paint my furniture that I wanted to, you know, all these things that you that have piled up. You do them, mm. then you're done, and then you watch endless TV, and you do all, you just do nothing for a while. You read, mm. and I really enjoyed that. Mm. And then there came a point where I realized, like that, that it it's okay. We're we're done with this. I'm done with this vacation. (laughs) And I also I also it came. I I saw that my purpose in this world is to perform. Mm -hmm. It's to sing. 
mm. in front of people. Um, Rio from the Jazz Gallery offered me a gig in June, I think it was. And I did a trio gig with Endless Field, which um, mm -hmm. is a wonderful duo, bass and guitar. Yeah, that's Ike Sturm. Uh, and Jesse Sturm. Lewis. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And Jesse Lewis. And we did it as a uh, virtual concert, which at the time sounded exciting. And it was gut-wrenching. Mm. Not because it was the jazz gallery or be because we didn't play well. We played very well. Mm. But there was no, there was no energy mm. coming back. Yeah. And it was crystal clear at that moment that performing is is a figure eight. It's an energy that needs the other. Otherwise it's nothing. Otherwise we're rehearsing. <clears throat> yeah. And it's yeah. not like recording. Virtual concerts are not like recording because you can't stop a take, you can't talk to each other in the way that you would in a studio. It's very it's I don't like it. I think it's it's dead. Yeah. To me. <clears throat> yeah, the energy is very, very different. I was watching a friend of mine who's doing these <clears throat> virtual concerts every week and, you know, and it's fun and it's lovely, but you're right. There's like this, this distance, like what you and I are experiencing right now. Like it, it's, it's very different. Uh, I haven't done many in-person interviews. Mm -hmm. Actually, I just did one in December with a good friend of mine in Arizona while I was there. And the energy is you know light years difference when you're sitting across from a person experiencing their energy and i'm i know for myself performing it's a similar thing when you step up on stage and there's 30 people or 100 people or however many people that's there's an exchange happening there yeah for me it suddenly was so obvious that we need each other the audience needs us and we need the audience it's not that we're better. We're not more than, even though we're on a platform, we're elevated. Mm -hmm. We're not, we, we are equal, actually. Yeah. So that was, a, <clears throat> yeah, that was, I did not see it like that before. Because I always took audiences for granted. Even if it was one, even if it was one or two people. <laughs> yeah. So they weren't at the forefront of your mind when you stepped out on stage? No. And it, it was... Before COVID, no, it wasn't yeah. like it wasn't this feeling of we need each other. Mm. If the audience was there without a band, they were just you know would be in a cafe. There would, yeah. there would be nothing going on. <clears throat> so a concert is not just somebody playing music. It's somebody playing music with people receiving it. That's a concert. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's hope we can. You can experience more of that. Yeah. <laughs> Going forward, it's been very much of a roller coaster with openings and closings and uh, yeah, and all the clubs that for unfortunately yeah. died during COVID. Yeah, the jazz standard. Yeah. Oof. Sad. I my uh, my husband and I have a our apartment is right next to the jazz standard, and one morning I walked down that street and all the furniture was on the street for the garbage oh. truck to pick up the bar stools and the board with all the you know the the letters on it i mean it was sad that is sad it's, oh do you uh, think anyway. the scene will return i know there's been a fair amount of musicians who've exited yeah what, yeah 
I know Clarence moved to Flor- Florida and Joel Fromm moved to Nashville and I'm sure there are many others I don't know about. Like what's yeah. your sense of that in New York City? Well, if they if somebody moves away, two people come in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's how it goes. Yeah. That's New York. Yeah. I hope it returns. Yeah. I think people are, once you have a certain a level of connection, I would say, I don't want to say career because jazz and career is always so <laughs> ironic to me. Um, so, you know, once you have your, your sort of places and your people that you, you connect to, you can possibly live in many places nowadays with the internet. Yeah. And Dan Tepford developed a, a a program that you can rehearse with, you know, from, from Oh, right. So we're going to be fine on that level. It's really more about being in the place together. Mm. And it, it sort of really, really came to fruition when I was doing jazz, uh, Siena jazz in 21 in the summer. Mm. And it's, <clears throat> it's a jazz workshop and concerts, um, for a week in Italy. And this mm-hmm. was the first time I was really sort of, first of all, out of the country. Mm-hmm. And then also with my peers, all, you know, Shai Meister was there, Matt Penman and every, all the New York musicians that are, were teaching there were hanging out together and it brought me to life. Mm. I, f- I didn't even know how frozen I was, how through, through that week, I just thawed. I just like, mm. oh, this is how I feel. <laughs> right. Wow. It was really, really incredible. And I played a duo concert with Shy, and I was levi- we were both levitating. It was just so mm. incredible. And the audience in Europe, less concerned with COVID, on top of each other. <laughs> it was incredible. Yeah. And you, some, you, I, I didn't know how much I needed it until it was there. Right. Mm. What music did you guys per- perform? Uh, mostly originals and then a mm-hmm. few... Uh, arrangements of sort of odd songs that I bring that the that Blackman dragged in, you know, <laughs> some Renaissance piece and then a, a mm. massive attack, you know, whatever. Sure. Just, yeah. Oh, that sounds awesome. Beautiful, <clears throat> beautiful setting, also. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. That's awesome. Um, when you're asked the question, if you meet somebody like you're at a party or something and you meet someone and doesn't know you, how do you answer the question? Well, what do you do? I make music that you probably won't like. (laughs) It's usually what I say. And then the best part is people will try to prove the opposite. No, 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 no. I like all kinds of music. What, What kind of music? What would you call it? Jazz? Oh yeah, I like jazz. Uh, you know, and then, of course, they won't like what I do. Mm. I, I, it's okay, <laughs> as long as you laugh at all my jokes, we're fine. You don't right. have to like my music. <laughs> do you consider yourself a jazz musician? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Um, and that became clear a couple of years ago when I did some concerts with a classical piano player Mm. um not here in new york but elsewhere um and i i realized that the time feel and the way we phrased was really really difficult to bring together Mm. it was we had to talk about (laughs) almost everything and 
if I play a Schubert song with shy maestro, I have to say nothing. It's mm -hmm. clear, you know. Right. But with a classical pianist, unless I sing that repertoire exactly as it is, it still, it still is, and it's the time fields, the rhythmic connection that is very, very different in classical music. Mm -hmm. Are you referring to swing, or are you referring to something deeper than that? Deeper, yeah. Some some classical pianists can swing, of course, but it's really how how they think about phrasing and pulse. I should say pulse. Or, yeah. Sometimes there is no pulse in classical music in some, especially in leader. Right. That's how, that's not how I hear and want to sing these songs for the most part. You're hearing a pulse. Y yes. The basis of my interpret interpretation or my musical interpretation is based on jazz, a jazz feel, mm -hmm. not a swing feel, but, yeah. That there is a pulse underlying most passages, let's say. Right. Right. <clears throat> um okay, cool. I I wasn't sure if you would if you would categorize yourself as a jazz musician. You're you're very I mean, you're not just obviously, you're not just a jazz musician. Your music spans a lot of genres and your instrument I would say is extraordinary. Like the um, what you do with the sounds and all the unique things that you explore. Have have mm -hmm. you always had that curiosity around sound? Mm -hmm. Yes. As a as a kid, I used to imitate uh, when we were in the car and I was in the back with my parents. I would make sounds that sounded like the car was broken. Like, <laughs> things like that. I don't mm. know if my dad pretended that it was real or, but he always said, wait, but something is, what's going on here with this, with this car? Um, it was cute at the time, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, I can, I can imitate or um, pick up languages fairly authentically as far mm -hmm. as the sound is concerned. Um, so that's, it's sort of a translation from ear to voice, mm. ear to vocal folds, I sure. guess. Sure. How do you maintain your instrument? Like you, you have such—it's so elastic. When I listen to you, like your range and and moving in and out of these different noises and sounds, like what is your? How do you care for that? <laughs> uh, practice and understanding the, the instrument, I think, is important. Mm. Is to know what what is what and what am I doing here and should I be doing this this way or that way, mm -hmm. and. Uh, Jeanette Levetri, who was my, is still, I say, uh, my vocal guru and my voice technique teacher has really made me understand what the voice can do and should not do in this way or that way. I was, before I took voice lessons, te technique lessons, I was very able to do a lot of things and a lot of improvisatory stuff and a lot of sounds and noise stuff that was that was not so much the question. It was really about how can I balance my instrument so I can go anywhere and then come back to it. Mm. So because what happens usually with when you t really don't know what, um, what you do is oftentimes you get stuck in one place. 
your head voice is too strong and your chest voice is getting weaker and weaker and so you lean on your chest muscle and then, then become stiffer and stiffer and then you're, sep you're separating your registers but then it works here and over there and you so all this kind of stuff has to be well balanced in order for all the things to work think of it like a decathlon i'm mm -hmm. doing a lot of things at a very high level but never at the level of a great belter a great alto a great baritone a great uh, pop singer you know mm -hmm. so you do one thing only you get really really strong at that but that might alleviate the possibilities of other things to be uh, available to you as easily as they are to me mm -hmm. does that make sense it does yeah what is your practice like? Like, do you, what can you you? I'm sure you do warm ups and other kinds of things. Um, do you have like exploration time where you just like look at yeah. new things, or tell yes. me about your practice? <clears throat> it's very messy, and it's. <laughs> I wish I. I mean, I was born in Germany. I mean, I have a work ethic. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But it's messy, and sometimes you don't want to practice, and sometimes you practice piano and then you start singing along and then you find stuff. Sometimes you have to work on music and that is where that that's my saving grace. Mm. I just recorded a record with Ben Monder of his music, which of course is really, really rangy, complex mm -hmm. rhythmically and intervallically. So I better, I better have my stuff together. And after all this COVID sitting around, I had to practice. And there was a passage that was really basically out of my range. Ben doesn't care. Like still, too high? He's like, this is what I hear. Do you figure out how to sing it? <laughs> and I love him for that. Mm. Um, so, yeah. And so it, I had to work my upper register for three days to get to those notes without sounding like somebody is killing me. Mm. Do you me. work? Do you work beyond that range so that that range is comfortable, or how do you get yeah, comfortable with usually, it? Usually, yeah. Usually, you have to. You're not supposed to sing the highest note that you can sing, right. um, or the lowest note. But yeah, so you sing. You know, up to if I have to sing an E, I sing. I hopefully sing up to an F sharp or G, or the, you know, highest one, and then down to. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and hopefully. It'll sound, you know, but yeah. it's, it's incredible even at 55, what still is possible. Mm. That's exciting. It's very exciting. I thought, well, I'm older. My voice is, <laughs> you know, getting lower. No, it can go, it can go up again. Yeah. It's How much fun. do you have to work on keeping relaxed while you're doing those sorts of things? Um... Like I can imagine you, it would, you, I mean, I'm thinking if I'm trying to sing that way, I would, I already, my body starts to dance. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. That's what, that's an interesting thing that you say that because relaxation is a deceiving concept because you have to be alert. You can't be too relaxed. If you're too mm -hmm. relaxed, then nothing's working really. Yeah. Um, so you have to work the muscles to be strong enough and then relax so that they can function without tension. And mm -hmm. that that's where the three days come in. Right. You can't do that on the first day because your butt cheeks are so tight on the first day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. the, and the veins are popping. Um, it's in tune, but it doesn't sound good. Yeah. 
And it probably doesn't feel that great physically. No. No. <laughs> that's the trick. Wow. Yeah. That's, I'm, so what? tell me about this project with Ben. What was it called? It's, it doesn't it have called? a name yet. And okay. the, the compositions have number names. 0934.4 is one of them. Mm. Because, you know, he has to still figure out what the titles are. They're brand new. They are usually epic. Mm -hmm. If you've you've heard Hydra or Oceana, you know what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. They're usually multiple parts. And it usually takes me a really long time to start practicing them because they're so hard and I just feel like a total failure when I start. Mm. But when I did it on this go around for this record, I was just completely overcome with how beautiful, Mm. not how amazingly incredible his writing is, but how emotionally moving it was to me. Mm -hmm. I could not get enough of it. I just could not stop singing these, you know, 12 tone rows. There's something in his music that is absolutely cerebral and, you know, incredible on that level but there's Mm -hmm. also something that will if you can find it will rip your heart out Mm. it's bizarre did not see that coming (laughs) it's like no i gotta have to learn this music on it'll sound fine and it'll sound great later and but then i was like this is amazing wow amazing when were you guys in the studio uh december 15th Mm-hmm. And then we were in the studio a month before to do just one uh, solo uh, duet <clears throat> piece that had lyrics, the only piece on the record. Mm-hmm. So does he write specifically out your part or is it more like this is a sketch and you come in and... Oh, no. No. <laughs> and he will be in the studio really... And, and I love that. I, I mm. trust Ben and I don't... I don't let a lot of composers mold me like that unless I trust their vision so much that, you know, yeah. they can say, try another vowel. That sounded like this. Let's, I want, I want to bring to life what Ben is hearing. Mm-hmm. And that's exciting because it's not what I would be hearing or writing. Um, and that's, that's fantastic. And I love what he's doing and he trusts me with this music. So, we're in yeah. a good place. How long have you two known each other? Since 1994. Okay. That's a long time. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And we've had so many duo concerts, but also we've been in so many other people's projects as a sort of double mm-hmm. hire. Yeah. And it's, it's nice. We have a lot of history. Yeah. That's great when you can work with somebody yeah. that you have that much history with. It's a lot you probably don't have to say. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And the same with John Holmbeck. Actually, the reason yeah. uh, John Holmbeck knew of me or heard me was because Ben Monder and John Holmbeck were roommates. Really? And when I went over to Ben's house to practice, to rehearse... There, John was like, who's that? <laughs> Let's have a band. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> That's another great collaborator. Oh, yeah. John is 
Yeah. That guy. <laughs> right? That's why I say I'm lazy because Ben and John are constantly, constantly writing, mm. practicing, reading up on the latest. I eat bonbons. Yeah. <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> so you you came to the U.S. in 1989. What? And you were in you were in Germany prior to that. Mm-hmm. Where in yeah. Germany were you? West Germany, I love saying that. Uh, I was near Cologne in a city called Dortmund, which okay. if, you're, if you're a Braxton fan, Anthony Braxton fan, he made a record called the Dortmund Quartet because it was oh. recorded there. <laughs> and what, <clears throat> when in 1989 did you leave Germany to come to the U.S.? I came in October and then I went back to for one more short little tour with the thing and came back right away so because didn't the wall come down like right November after ninth and right. i was in berlin that night what was that like um it was extremely busy <laughs> around the <laughs> <clears throat> around the wall mm-hmm. uh, i knew of it because a friend of mine was performing they had a accident backstage and the police came during the mm. performance and the police said the wall is open this is the only um, crossing where you could even go over. So we, after the performance, we hopped in his car and went, walked over to East Berlin. And it was insanity. Really? Yeah, it was really incredible. And then we stayed, I stayed for five more days in uh, Berlin to celebrate. And we went every day. We just went hither to yonder to celebrate. And then I tried to get out of Berlin and I was stuck for eight hours on the highway because all, all that ha- was happening was East Germans were trying to get out of East Germany mm. and the highways were standstill. Jammed. Yeah. So I just turned around and stayed a couple of my days. Was that emotional for you to be there and go into East Germany? Yeah. I mean, I didn't have any relatives or any much history with uh, East Germany and it sort of felt like a strange brother that you don't know at all Hmm. Um, and then I moved away so now for me that part of Germany is still kind of when I look at a map on the weather map at the news (laughs) in Germany I'm like that's not what Germany looks like (laughs) afraid Um, but yeah it was it's emotional because you know people were separated for many 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 years yeah incredible incredible that it even existed Right? <laughs> like a dumb, stupid wall. Like people. Yeah. Was like, Wasn't there somebody else recently who wanted to build a wall? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> but Mexico will pay for it. Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. So what, why did you come to New York? What brought you to New York in 1989? Um, I mean, Sheila Jordan was a big influence in helping me come over here because I Mm -hmm. lived with her at the beginning until I had an apartment. But it was sort of this push and pull, of course, as a young jazz musician, especially at that time without internet and access Mm -hmm. to all that, you know, greatness, you just, you have to be in America to even immerse yourself in, in this music. And then I wanted to get out of this small pond. I was Mm -hmm. starting to get some gigs and some, not recognition, but, you know, things were picking yeah. up. And I thought, if I don't get out now, 
I'm going to, I'm not going to make it. I just need to get away and just be challenged. And for me, when I'm, when I came to New York, the thing I felt immediately was like, I don't have to become famous. I just want to be here. Mm. I just love the city. And that I think is what saved me here because that city, this city is tough and it's yeah. expensive and it's loud. and <laughs> But I didn't come here to be too, you know, for career purposes only. I, I live here because I love it. Mm. And that's a big difference from a lot of Europeans that come here and hate it. Mm. They don't like it here. And then they're trying to play with big names and make a name for themselves. And they're miserable. That's mm. not going to make for good music at the end. Yeah. What do you love about it? The density, the, the cityness of it. Like that it's gritty and that it is, well, it's not so gritty anymore. <laughs> but coming back, coming back. Yeah. Grit is coming back. Um, that it's, it's a struggle and that people, when I came here, that people who lived in New York earned their place in New York. You had to know what you're doing. You had to know which blocks to avoid. You had to know where to do this and where to do that. Mm -hmm. And that was a badge of honor. And I love that. <laughs> it's like this secret society living in the city that, you know, it's meant for them. It's really, right. and it's tough. I love that. I don't know why. Mm. Who were your friends? Who were your peers in that first year that, that you were in New York? <clears throat> um, very few friends from that time that I was hanging out with are still my friends. I mean, my closest okay. ally till to this day, I saw her a couple of days ago, is Sheila Jordan. Okay. She introduced me to Kirk Nurok, who is a wonderful pianist and composer who uh, I started to collaborate with in 91, I think. And we, he introduced me to a whole other realm of music and improvisatory concepts. And from then on, he introduced me to other instrumentalists, but friends, like people that I would go out to dinner with, yeah. none of them are yeah. still my friends. It's bizarre. Also in 89, Bobby McFerrin won the Grammy for Don't Worry, Be Happy. Was, was that 89? He... Yeah, it was 89. No. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Wow. Was, that, was he on your radar when you came to New York? Were you aware yes, of, of course, Bobby McFerrin? Of course, of course. Yeah. Um, I had the voice that of the Blue Moon mm -hmm. album, um, and I transcribed and uh, practiced some of the yeah some of the songs just for incredible, incredible. Yeah. I mean, he changed the game completely. Sure. And um, I just met him for the first time and sang with him uh, this past summer. Really. Um, in San Francisco, yeah, he came to this workshop that I'm teaching with Laurie Antonioli every every summer in August, called the Vocal Intensive, mm -hmm. and um, he taught for a day and invited me and Laurie to sing with him. It was profound. Really profound, yeah. Wow, what did you guys sing? Just um, we think I think we sang Anthropology, and then some conducted improvisations that he did which yeah. uh, is so my jam. That's, that's where <laughs> I live. That must have felt amazing to meet um, a hero like that. Yeah, yeah. And just the, to, to understand the weight of what he has done, you know, and then he's just there talking to you or <laughs> having lunch with you. You know, it's like, what? 
It's right. Incredible. Yeah, I saw him in, gosh, what was it, 80, 86 or 87. He was here in Ashland, Oregon, actually, and his very first album where he played piano and mm-hmm. just kind of sang. There was, a, there was a song on there called Sightless Bird mm-hmm. that I still love, and he, he – uh, he invited people to come down on stage, and I ran down on stage. <laughs> <laughs> pick me, pick me! And he had a whole bunch of us up there, and then he had us like do like he gave us little parts to that he just made up, and then he like improvised over the top of it. It was phenomenal. It was so amazing. It, yeah, there's 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 sort of a thing when you're in the presence of this a genius is an overused word, but this talent that you can't ever. <laughs> even it's not even inspiring because it's so far from what I could ever do. It's just so incredible. Yeah. It's just you just you just levitate afterwards. Yeah. You know, just being in the presence of that and to witness something like that is is beautiful. Fantastic. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. That you got to meet him wow. and perform with him. That's so great. Yeah. From his album, I Dwell in Possibility, here's Theo being ultra-creative on the jazz standard, Comes Love. can get a little heat comes love nothing can be done comes a fire and you know just what to do blow a tire you can buy another shoe comes love nothing can be done um do you enjoy do you enjoy singing in German more than English or is it, do you not think about it? I was listening. The reason I ask is I was listening to some of your recordings and I don't know, maybe it's just me, but the German that you sing really touched, really touched me. Like, and I was think I was thinking, I wonder if how German feels to Theo in his mouth. And like, <laughs> it's a sort of weird thought, but I was like, I don't know. It just really struck me the German more yeah. than the English. I mean the 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 wordless is a whole other category, <coughs> but um anyway, I I was just that, curious about that. Yeah. For you. I mean that's that's in the ear of the beholder, I guess. Yeah. Because I I would I want to say I feel equally connected to an English or French mm-hmm. or German lyric or whatever. But there is a difference because I didn't sing in German until 2002, I think, or 2001. Really? Yeah. I didn't have a real connection to singing in in German uh, because I just, 
I just didn't. I thought it was either classical music or cheesy pop uh, cabaret kind of stuff that I didn't want to sing. But when the Neu Gallery, which is a uh, museum in New York on the Upper East Side, opened their cafe, they had a concert series, and the curator asked me to do a concert of German songs, Kurt Weill mm. and Hans Eisler. And I hemmed and hawed, and she pulled at me, and she said, come on, do it, it's great, and pays great money, blah, blah, blah. So I finally did it, and it, as you said, the mouthfeel <laughs> suddenly felt really, it felt honest. It felt like, mm. oh, now I can, I can connect to it. I don't feel like I'm imitating a cabaret singer from the 20s. Mm -hmm. I'm actually singing them as my words, not as words that I think Marlena Dietrich has sung or something like that, or Lotte Lenya. That was, mm -hmm. that was never on my playlist anyway. Yeah. So suddenly there were songs with these very stark, profound lyrics by Bertolt Brecht mostly. Mm -hmm. And the words were clean and crisp and absolutely heartbreaking. And I could sing them. Mm. And there I was. And my trepidations and my sort of snootery <laughs> was gone. Mm -hmm. And then I fell in love with, with the idea of that and, and continued to do Schubert and Schumann with Uri Kane and Wagner and that kind of stuff, where mm -hmm. I allowed myself to sing my own language without the history that I felt I didn't want to be part of. Right. <clears throat> right. That's interesting. Yeah. Straddling both worlds, the, your German heritage and the new world, <laughs> the American jazz. Yeah. And I, the other thing about English that to me was important to live here, even if it, well, as soon as I arrived, I knew I'm just not going to leave. You could get me out of here. But <laughs> right. In my mind, I thought, even if I live in the States for a year or two or for my studies, what I want to be doing is speaking and living in a language that I'm going to be singing so that when I say I love you to somebody in English, I had done that. I had said that in English to somebody that I love so that when I sing I love you in a song, it is a remembrance of that moment or I had done that. It's not like I'm learning how to say that in another language, right. but I had, I had lived that language. Right. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. So it's more authentic. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Isn't that what so all you... the kids want to be now? Authentic. <laughs> authentic. It's one of those words like on their, their authentic journey. Living their best life, yeah. Right. <laughs> to inspire others. Yeah. <clears throat> All these words, there's this whole thing, I have this whole thing around words lately, and we, we have these little words that just, like, take on <laughs> this meaning. <clears throat> I'm like, does it really have to? I, I don't know. It's don't open this can of worms, or <laughs> no, we're going to have to cut this out of the no, interview. I'm not going to. I have I a lot to there. say about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> um. <clears throat> Tell me about meeting Lori Anderson. She's been one of my uh, music heroes. I remember getting listening to her and Adrian Ballou when I was younger and getting her Sharky, that, that, I think it was called Sharky's Night, mm -hmm. the album. Um, yeah. how, did you, how did you meet Lori Anderson? Uh, how did that connection come about? 
think she came to a gig I did at Joe's Pub or something. Mm-hmm. Somebody brought her, or was it through Schooly Sverison, maybe, the bass player that was playing with her at the time? Suddenly I was invited to be the other singer in her concert tour. It was a trio, mm-hmm. uh, a keyboard, bass, drums, Ben Whitman, Schooly Sverison, and uh, what was this? Shara, that keyboard player. Mm-hmm. And and then me. So, okay, what am I going to do here? So I didn't know Laurie's work too well. Of course, I knew mm-hmm. the big hits. And I yeah. didn't really fully understand the magic of, of her work. Mm. Because it to me, very much like Meredith Monk's work, it comes alive with an audience when you're there. Right. It's great on record. It's fantastic sometimes on record. But the concerts... Once we started playing, it was I understood what it was was about the storytelling mm-hmm. and the the mis- mystery about came to life, and what was re- interesting was that I had to create all my own parts, and she was very gracious and wonderful and easy, uh, and I suggested things and I sang harmonies or I layered mm-hmm. stuff underneath what she was doing, and it was it was very different from from jazz where you you know you sing this and you do that and here you go and this is the part and you come in there and then you improvise over these changes or whatever it wasn't like that at all it was really rock and roll you create your own you figure it out and there were no lead sheets for the most part Mm -hmm. i had to transcribe anything that i needed to figure out Mm. um and that i think that's an interesting process and i kind of like that as well sometimes in my own projects because it, you internalize the music very differently when you transcribe it when you're transcribing or when you're learning it by ear mm-hmm. um rather than uh, everybody's glued to the page right um so it was Lori is one of those very quiet smart witty people that will mow you over with her knowledge <laughs> and encyclopedic bizarre left turns of interests Mm. she is she's a force she's really incredible did you guys rehearse much for that tour yeah Mm -hmm. we rehearsed for a week every day and she you know she was trying out new things and figuring out new stuff herself and everybody was sort of on the same oh is this where it goes to double time or is it one more extra Mm -hmm. beat or whatever so it's finding this, it's collective. It's not, she knows, she, she's a leader, but it's, we're all yeah. sort of swimming. <clears throat> hmm. When was, when was this? I would say 2006, seven, five, three. Yeah. Somewhere in there. Early Some, 2000s. Yeah, in the 2000s. Yeah. And you got, how long did you tour for? Uh, we had a run here, then we had a concert, and then we had a week in uh, Mexico City. That's it. Like a month, I would say. Yeah. The whole thing was a month. And then I just did a concert with her just before the pandemic. Really? At Joe's Pub, yeah. Um, so that was sort of one of the last things I did before the pandemic. Was What did she teach you about either rehearsing or performing? Or like, what did you take away from that experience? Um, if anything, I mean, I didn't, 
I didn't understand that spoken word can have such a musical, powerful uh, trajectory. Hmm. It's she's not singing most of the time in these you know monologues, mm-hmm. but there there's a certain mystique and inflection to what she's doing that is just as skillful as any singer i would say yeah it's really incredible it's just incredible it it just you hold your breath (laughs) and then she flips around and the story changes completely and you're left with like a pancake on your face i mean it's just incredible uh thrilling and she's lighthearted and and kind and sweet and and a wonderful, calm, centered person, mm. you know. Lovely. Yeah. How did the How did the Meredith Monk um, stuff come about for you? Um, I met Meredith through Kirk Nurok uh, at a dinner first in '93 mm-hmm. or something, or '92, '92, let's say. And mm-hmm. we had dinner, and we had a good time, and there was a bunch of other people. And then Meredith invited me to her. 50th birthday party as a mm-hmm. guest and we danced together oh how and, fun yeah it was really fun not ballroom dance but just right. disco danced yeah, and yeah. she says that was my audition you know <laughs> and i didn't know it but uh then uh, bob ian who was sort of her baritone sidekick and and uh left uh, the ensemble to move to la and she was looking mm-hmm. for somebody to do uh, Facing North with uh, these very complex a cappella duets. And Meredith foolishly thought that I wouldn't, I would, as a jazz singer, I wouldn't want to do that. I have my own career, there's that word. <laughs> right. And finally she asked another person of her ensemble, said, do you think Thea would want to do this? I mean, I was there so fast. Memorized <laughs> the whole thing. <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> Thank you, ma'am. Yes, here right. I am. Oh. That was 94, I think, was the first performance we did. Mm-hmm. And many, many after, lots of wonderful memories and touring. And Meredith, much like Laurie Anderson, but even more so than Laurie, works like a, a rock band, like on the performer. Mm-hmm. She writes her pieces in smaller bits and then, like a tailor, puts them on the performer. It's mm-hmm. very labor-intensive, rehearsal-intensive, it is excruciating at times, but the mm. results are very different because of it. Mm-hmm. Would the performances change much night to night, or was it pretty standardized after once you kind of got it? Yeah, once you had once you got it, once you had memorized these unbelievably complex patterns and weird harmonic structures. Yes, um, then Meredith is a true composer in the sense that. She creates structures. Mm-hmm. I remember her sitting with like us as in the ensemble and having us sing through this twelve-minute piece three hundred thousand times because she <laughs> wanted to change one thing in the middle, and it was that one note or that one bar change that made it be just that. Wow. And the detail and the dedication to that is really. I've never seen that kind of thing. Wow. You know, in jazz, there's a lot of sort of brushstroke kind of playing. Here, mm-hmm. it's extremely precise. 
And then there are sections where things can move or you improvise rhythms or you improvise just between a half step or something like that. Mm -hmm. But the structures are very, very, very constructed. Mm. Wow. It's impressive. That sounds challenging. <laughs> it's challenging, yeah. <clears throat> and they oftentimes, the the cueing and the uh, what when we go to the next section relies heavily on each other and sometimes it's a lighting cue or it's mm. john hollenbeck playing this one note on the marimba then i sing another note that triggers then another note to rehearse that is such a nightmare sometimes <laughs> i played that note but i didn't hear it but i played <laughs> let's do it again from the top from the beginning <clears throat> yeah wow and you record you recorded with her as well yes um we did two records together no, three, three, and then we did a project with Anne Hamilton also where we recorded separately. We did a Mercedes commercial. <laughs> Meredith wrote the music for a Mercedes commercial in Japan. Um, oh wow! Yeah, so, that sounds fun. That was fun. <laughs> so your last r recording, I believe, was with the Westerlies, the This Land, and that mm -hmm. was that came out like. I, almost a year ago, I want to say. Yeah. I mean, that pandemic threw us for a loop. We yeah. had it all lined up with tours and <laughs> red carpets, but no. Right. How did that how did that come to life? Like was that was it your intention to so I mean that's sort of a a protest album, I guess it's what people are calling it. And it definitely feels like a response to politically what was going on. Was that the intention going in or, yeah. or yeah. So the, 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 the collaboration started with the West release approaching me to do one song with them. And I gave them a bunch of songs of mine and they chose another holiday. So we started working on another holiday as just one, a one off for another project that never mm -hmm. happened. And as we were rehearsing together again, very much like a rock band, everybody gently makes suggestions mm -hmm. and makes, everything better. And then we were sitting, we had beers down here at, at a bar and we were like, what is going on with this, you know, climate yeah. and la 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 la. <laughs> we're just all depressed. And I said, we should respond. But and we were like, yeah, let's make a record of something, you know? And then mm -hmm. I said, we should make a, a, a record about resistance that is irresistible that actually the music is really, really beautiful. Mm. And this comes from my experience a little bit with the German uh, Eisler Brecht kind of material that is often performed so harshly and so loudly and so screamingly that I just, I mean, it's just not something I want to listen to actually. Yeah. I, I'd rather read the poem. It's in the performance. It's not in the music itself. So right. I wanted to create something that's very, or we, agreed or mm -hmm. we thought it would be a good idea and especially with their sound that is so seductive to create something that speaks of of the you know political climate or the oppression or uh, whatever it is but it actually sounds really really heartfelt and beautiful mm. it's not the usual you have to listen to me now <laughs> right i have something to say you know that kind right. of has its place, yeah. but this is not a protest march. Mm -hmm. It's a protest lullaby. Right. 
had you always wanted to work with a brass ensemble like that? Like, that's a very unusual never. Com- Would never combination. Cr- <laughs> no, they're loud and they're annoying and they're always, you know, just obnoxious people. Those, <laughs> those guys are none of that. They are not even yeah. a brass quartet. They're a string quartet with brass instruments. Mm. When they gave me the record, the first record, and I put it on, I started to weep. Just because of the sound. No kidding. Wow. I kid you not. I just was like, <laughs> it was incredible. That's mm. sort of the thing that you can't buy in a store. You can't learn that. You have to, You that's something they create together. Mm-hmm. It's not one person doing it. And that, that unity and that mentality that I see in Meredith's work or in Laurie's work, where everybody is sort of, melting together that's Mm -hmm. that's them and it is powerful Mm. then it doesn't matter what instrument it is right i mean i people always ask me or sometimes ask me like how do you choose your instruments i choose them by the people that i want to play with (laughs) and then i look at what instruments they play hopefully it's not all you know all drums like drum ensemble well that works too but right bang on a can kind of thing yeah but it's the people and the mentality Mm. and the willingness to open up and be um sort of soft (laughs) soft about everything in a good way was it challenging as a vocalist to be around brass players like did you were you conscious of like oh i've got to shift my tone at all or no none of that no and every one of them is my best friend. Like they're just the nicest people. And what's interesting is to figure out whether it works or not. Mm-hmm. Like at first I was like, this could sound really bottomless or too bottom heavy or mm-hmm. orchestrationally we had to figure out where's what so that not every piece sounds exactly the same. But yeah, I don't know. They have so much sonic variety. I was never really worried about that. Yeah. I was, it's shockingly beautiful. Like I, I, or I should say surprisingly beautiful. Cause when I was like, what brass quintet with voice, how is that going to work? I, I knew a lot of brass, was it quintet music? Yeah. I mm-hmm. knew a few brass quintets because Kirk Nurok, the composer that I worked with at the time was commissioned to write a piece for brass quintet. And so I'd listened to a lot of, those pieces because he was t- telling me about it and I was like mm-hmm. brass quintet why would you why um and i had didn't really it didn't really stick but mm-hmm. the west release i mean they can play anything and, and i'll listen to it it doesn't matter yeah very sensitive playing very uh, yeah i like i said i was really uh, pleasantly surprised um the good man <clears throat> land i mean there are just so many of that that are yeah. just like ooh, and they're this generation where everything is integrated they can play and know pop or you know hip-hop let's say I, i'm assuming mm-hmm. that but yeah. they know so many different styles without it being uh fake i mean they're really internalizing they're really fluid they're very skilled you know they, mm. they, they're incredibly skilled and they're incredibly open Mm-hmm. And would you call the Westerlies a jazz ensemble? 
Tap. No, I'm asking you. Oh, would I? No, not. I wouldn't. I would call them a brass quintet that plays music. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. It's there. Uh, it would be hard to categorize. I would. Yeah. I would say. There was a, m- a moment when I was all you know revved up. Like, what should I call myself? And <laughs> what should I put on my bio on my website? A jazz singer or right. this? And Meredith Monk said, "That's not for you to figure out." Mm-hmm. That's for the critics to or to say or for somebody else to say. But you know, it's you just do what you do. Yeah, I've. I mean, I've talked to a lot of musicians who blur <clears throat> the lines. I would say Gian Slater or Oh, Gian. Yeah. <laughs> who? Who? The, her album just totally knocked me out. Gian um, is another one. That, like, there's <laughs> a god, right? I mean, but it is it's like where you know it's like people have to categorize you but the categories just don't make they just don't make a lot of sense no but i would i would think of her as a jazz singer because yeah. she comes from she plays with jazz musicians she has mm-hmm. a rhythmic jazz articulation sense and a harmonic language that belongs to jazz yeah and then go wherever you want to right Gian took one lesson with me in New York like years ago. She gave me a CD, which a lot of students do. I'm like, another student CD. <laughs> I put it in. It didn't leave the CD player for about a year or so. I mean, it's just, yeah, what? Yeah. She's, Unbelievable. She's an angel and just magical. Uh, yeah. I get chills thinking about her. And she has CD. two kids. Right. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't even have two kids and I... <laughs> I think I'm sick yeah do you do you think any you guys will do any performances with the westerlies like a, yeah or have you done any yeah we have and it's okay we did a performance in dallas at the nasher museum mm-hmm. uh in october before the pandemic it's a new marker now um, right <laughs> it was the same night as a trump rally <clears throat> <clears throat> lovely <laughs> fantastic fun um and we're performing at joe's pub in new york on march 8th enchilada enchilada um so march 8th at joe's pub we're performing this oh in a couple months Mm -hmm. that's awesome i hope i hope we yeah perform what else what other projects are on your horizon what are you what are you kind of getting excited about well it's out there um Manfred okayed uh, a next record, and I'm doing it in duo with Shy Maestro, who was supposed to be here for Winter Jazz Fest to perform in duo with me, but that Winter Jazz Fest got canceled, so that's now, so that topples, you know, one thing, we'll see. Yeah. I mean, I don't know when this is going to happen. Um, yeah. I just got a really exciting offer from David Lang, who's a fantastic composer and the founder of a bang on a can. Mm-hmm. He wants to write a an hour long solo opera for string quartet and myself that is going mm. to premiere. It's all set. <laughs> it's all set already. <laughs> uh, in Tokyo in January, the end of January in twenty three. Twenty three. That sounds really awesome. I cannot wait. Yeah. And I'm supposed to do a tour in May with a. String trio, piano, viola, and cello, I think is the orchestration, mm-hmm. um, of contemporary music. 
very contemporary music, like graphic score kind of oh, okay. stuff, uh, commissions. This concert tour, which I think is 10 concerts or something like this, has been in the works for three years. And wow. it got moved throughout the pandemic. And so that's where is the tour? In, in Switzerland, in Basel. Name all the yeah. cities in, in, Switzerland. in Switzerland and where you okay. covered them. Yeah. And then <clears throat> aren't you doing, I think you mentioned something about a Billy Strayhorn thing yes, in Finland. Yes, in Finland. And also that got moved. I was supposed to do a Christmas concert in Finland, Shiver Me Timbers, in 2020 with uh, a, the Jazz Big Band. Mm -hmm. And that didn't happen. And now they changed from Christmas to Billy Strayhorn. Same thing. Love them both. Yeah. Uh, so that's happening in October, I hope, in Helsinki. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm doing Siena Jazz in the summer. I'm performing at the Bang on a Can uh, Festival in at Mass Mocha in mm -hmm. uh, in July, and this is a song cycle that Phil Klein, composer, uh, wrote for me called Florida Man, mm. and it's these wonderful incredible songs about america and florida man kind right of, kind of <laughs> absurdities but not ironic just unbelievable incredible mm. stuff which we performed in new york before the pandemic <laughs> bp right b bp BT. yeah btp yeah btp exactly. right from his most recent outing with the brass group The Westerlies, the album is This Land. The title of this is Just Land. So to end, I'm going to just ask you some, some really quick questions. So do you remember the first album or CD you ever bought? Uh, album. There were no CDs. <laughs> Vinyl. <laughs> it was a cylinder made of wax. Right. Uh, yes, I do. I, uh, it was West Side Story, which mm. 
that was the the big the first album and the first single now we're gonna go a little downhill okay. yeah yeah uh, was video killed the radio star oh which i paid with my own money those were my right. first records. wasn't that the first thing that showed on video mtv uh, yeah <laughs> of course i didn't see because no, yeah we had a black and white tv until i moved out basically like uh-huh. we were so behind so you had seen West Side Story and then you on TV. Ordered the, yeah. I ordered the album in our local electronics store. Mm-hmm. It took six weeks. <laughs> I went every day to that store. I grew up in a little village. Yeah. Has my record arrived yet? <laughs> no, we'll call you. <laughs> Has my record oh. arrived yet? No. No. We'll call <laughs> we'll call your parents when it's here. There's nothing else to do. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, who is one of your favorite vocalists of all time? Oh, oh that's you, of all time. Not the, but just you could pick one. You know, Al Jarreau. Just pick Al Jarreau. Did you ever meet him? No. Oh. That was sad because I, I think um, Look to the Rainbow is one of the greatest records of all time. And I make all my students listen to the YouTube clip of him uh, singing Take Five in Hamburg at the radio in the six sixty eight or whatever. It's a masterclass in everything. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, he was, he was he was to me even more so than Bobby McFerrin because also he was bef- you know, I heard him before Prior. yeah. Yeah. Uh just that opened everything. Yeah. That was Did you listen to Lambert Hendricks and Ross at all? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Loved, loved, loved. I listened to John Hendricks a lot because oh, yeah. in my little town where you can get West Side Story every six weeks, maybe. <laughs> there were like male jazz singers, good luck. So yeah. Al Jarreau, of course, John Hendricks, Mark Murphy, uh, Joe Williams, and that, and, and Mel Torme. Did I say Mel Torme? No, you didn't. Yeah, Mel Torme. Those were the records and the things I knew and had access to mm-hmm. and, and would then, you would you transcribe those would you like learn oh yeah stuff off those records i would sing along yeah nice uh do you like coffee or tea coffee <laughs> and yes you're welcome to send me freshly organic or, okay no i'm joking i'm joking give give me your address I'll, no i'm joking really, we have a really good no i'm serious we have a amazing coffee roaster <laughs> i'm like that's a coffee snob i i i'm too I, have you heard of this coffee cone filter that you fill up and it collects the water and then you put it on the cup and then it drains and it's supposed to taste better and it does mm. I've been using the Chemex lately. That's been my go-to. What is? The, I'm curious what this is. Do you know what it's called? It's called. I know what it is. I could show you after when we sign off. I'll show yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, what was your first performance in front of an audience? Do you remember? Uh, it, it was probably at, in the in the children's choir where I was a soloist, singing "Little Drummer Boy." Playing a drum and singing. Wow. Cute. <laughs> it is cute. <gasps> <laughs> Little Theo. Yes. I was the only boy in an all-girls choir. I mean, it wasn't an all-girls choir, but no boy in right. this town wanted to sing because <laughs> when you 
Sing in a girls choir, you get chased and beaten. Oh. Yep. It's okay. It was oh. worth it. Yeah. Yeah. Fine. What are your must-have tools for practicing? Um, a space that sounds good. I mm-hmm. can't, I hate practicing in practice rooms that are dead. So the sound is important. I practice more and better in a sound in a room that has a sound. Mm-hmm. And do you have that access mm-hmm. to that? Yeah, I'm lucky to be in an apartment that actually has a good sound and lets me make sound without the neighbors going crazy. What about composing? Anything anything essentials for that? A great piano and five minutes before the student comes in or when the student is late. That's when I write my best pieces. <laughs> I'm waiting, 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 and then I'm like, oh, wait a minute. This mm-hmm. is a ma- and then the doorbell rings. <laughs> Did you learn piano when you were young? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I had a piano, classical piano teacher. And I learned classical guitar as well. Oh, wow. Which I don't even know how guitarists <laughs> do anything. It is right. a nightmare. <laughs> so hard on your fingers. It is so hard. And it's so hard that Bach yeah. can't t- Like, no. There's the same <laughs> note is in five different places. Great, great. Uh, favorite musical? Uh, singing in the Rain. Oh, mine too. <laughs> we, I bet we have the same birthday too. Uh, I don't. Mine's in August. <gasps> mine too. No, mine is not. <laughs> I love Singing in the Rain. I watch it at least three times a year. <laughs> it is. Um, yeah. Make them laugh. Make them laugh. <laughs> That number always makes me cry because it's really, so, yeah, because it's so oh, beautiful yeah. and brilliant and cosmic. And I just start crying. Yeah. That scene with him running up the walls and all that is like, Everything. and I think it's mostly one take or some ridiculous thing. Like, the whole thing is so joyous, yeah, that I just get completely emotional. Yeah, like uh, un- like joy like that makes me very very <laughs> very very sentimental. Right. Um, <clears throat> who is someone you haven't worked with yet that you would really like to work with? Bill Frizzell. Sorry, Ben. I love you, <laughs> and I will always be be your man. But I would love to work with Bill Frizzell. Cool. How, do you know him? Have you met him? Yeah, many times, and he's a, he's the dearest man on the planet. <laughs> My number is <clears throat> Bill. <laughs> Bill. What's the worst gig you've ever had? <laughs> how many? How How much time do you have? Um, <laughs> we got plenty of time. I had a gig. Okay, the best thing about this is that I wasn't the main attraction. I was subbing for a singer friend of mine who suddenly gets sick. Mm-hmm. And she had a gig with a pianist who shall remain nameless in the 90s at Cornelia Street. And so I subbed for her, it was piano voice, and because we didn't have time to rehearse, we were just going to improvise. It was a snowstorm. There was one couple that walked in at the beginning of the set. There was two people sitting there. <laughs> And as soon as we started, they started heckling with the bartender to get their 
cover chargeback because they mm. hated the music. Oh, and so man. that then they were still heckling with the bartender. Five more people come up and want to see Wendy, the woman that I was subbing for. So they left. Then the couple left and we were all alone. <laughs> the end of the gig. But yeah. then we got completely hammered on tequila and played Christmas carols. Awesome. That was, that was the end. <laughs> Sounds so bad. No. <clears throat> what 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 is one of your most favorite gigs that you've done? I mean, I could pick something really big and glorious at Carnegie mm-hmm. Hall or something like that, but I'm not gonna. I think I, I want to say there's lots of them, but the mm-hmm. recent gig in Siena with Shy Maestro mm. was so incredible because of that reconnection and that sort of feeling of coming alive through the audience, through being with an audience. Mm. That was incredible. That felt like I was really like thawing. I was just like, I was frozen and now I'm, I'm back. That's awesome. Yeah. What are you most looking forward to for 2022? Being busy again, being being busy and having uh, a purpose, mm-hmm. you know, not having to create the purpose every day myself, but having a right. purpose thrown at me, which, you know, happened in the fall a lot and it was wonderful. Yeah. <clears throat> Are you hopeful? Do you have hope for 2022? I'm a Gemini, so I'm still deciding. <laughs> okay. I just had COVID, so... Um, that didn't make me feel hopeful. Yeah. Uh, I thought I was not going to get it fully vaxxed and all, but, um, I don't know. I think this is like, not like the pandemic is like nine 11. We'll always have some Mm -hmm. remnants of this from here on out. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Yeah. But at least everybody is a virologist expert now. (laughs) Thank goodness for that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Theo, thank thank you very much for spending time today. It's thank really you. been a joy yeah, talking been, with you. Fun. Where can people learn more about you? Where's the best place? On every platform that doesn't pay me. Spotify. <laughs> uh where can they you know, if if you Google my name, I guess it'll mm-hmm. uh come up. You have a and website and are you on website. Are you on Instagram? And Instagram Twitter? is my jam. Yeah. Yeah. I, no TikTok I, for you? No. Not one more thing. <laughs> I'm on the phone enough as it is. And Instagram right. is... It always comes up. You have spent one hour on Instagram today. Right. Okay. Get out <laughs> of my way. <laughs> That's awesome. <clears throat> All right, Theo. Well, Thank thanks you. again and, and have a great 2022. Thank you. You too. And stay healthy. Hey there. Thanks for listening to the show. It was super fun to sit down with Theo. And I just wanted to mention that he has a new box set out called My Choice that just came out like I think days ago. And you can get it wherever you consume your music. And you can also check him out at his website, theobleckman.com. And yeah, 
go explore the world of Theo. Check out our website while you're at it, theplayfulmusician.com. You can listen to all past episodes. You can read show notes from this show and a lot of other shows. We've got a bunch of great, I know I say this every week, but it's true. We have a, a stellar lineup coming up for 2022, and I'm so excited to bring these artists to you. Thanks again for stopping by. Have a great week, and we'll see you again real soon.